You're listening to a Count Out Podcast. Welcome to another fantastic episode of Your Dose of Death Podcast. My name is Lauren, and as always, thank you for joining me each and every single episode for some fantastic conversation with some of the best and brightest in deathmatch wrestling. Before we get into the nitty-gritty, I just want to give a big shout-out to my sponsor, Grateful Deathmatch. And of course, when you hit that checkout code, DEATH, it gets you free shipping across these fantastic United States. And of course, I want to introduce a new pon- sponsor, Crimson Mask. Crimson Mask is a new sponsor, and Jay just gave me the nice details on a promo code. If you put in the code YDOD, gets you 10% off the Fight Fire with Fired Long Sleeve t-shirt. Again, put in that code YDOD for 10% off of that fantastic shirt. Hit up Crimson Mask at crimsonmask.com. Now, the reason you are all here this is probably the most highly anticipated episode I've ever done in the only four or five episodes I have done of this podcast. I am joined today by a guy I consider a friend in the world of deathmatch wrestling, a guy who is actually probably one of the main reasons I got into deathmatch wrestling. He is none other than the repeat two-time term of survival champion, a former H2O champion. I could keep going on and on about this man, but ladies and gentlemen, I'm really proud to introduce the blood spiller, death match killer, Alex fucking Cologne. Alex, how the hell are you doing? Wow, what's going on? I love, bro. You're so professional. <laughs> your whole, me and Steve are just like, Steve's like, okay, Alex, go, let's record. I'm like, ah, just struggling to get there. It's funny because, um, my, my, the guys who run comic podcast, shout out to them. They're like, you are such a great interview. I'm like, dude, I just try to be professional as much as I can. Oh, and of course, Alex hosts his own podcast on the GCW Patreon with Stephen A. Shout out, hi, Stephen, wherever the hell you are right yeah. now. Um, World of Deathmatch podcast, as always, hit them up on the GCW Patreon if you want to get on that World of Deathmatch pod. But anyways, Alex, um, how are you doing this fine night? I'm all right. Uh, you know, staying out of trouble. <laughs> um, you know, trouble, uh, you know uh, gripping Undertaker, Jeff Hardy figures to the uh, payout line where I'm denied access to these figures at the line. <laughs> like, Oh, no, Alex, you poor soul. But um, really, again, I want to first thank you for taking the time out of your day to really do this. It's really an honor to have you on. And I think this, again, this is probably the most anticipated episode of your dose of death ever. I mean, many people have been asking me when I'm going to have you on, when I'm going to have you on. And so this has been probably a few months in the making since I started talking podcasts here. So again, I mean, thank you. And um, really first question, I mean, we got to get into the big news of this week <laughs> or so. Yeah, You are producing your own deathmatch show, Planet Death. I have been hyped for this show the minute it got announced what can you give love, oh. our listeners about this just just uh, what you can and can't provide us what can i say that i can't say i don't know um i i won't say i won't say i haven't been lobbying for something like this but i pretty i mean i put it out 
to the internet world many a times that I will I wanted to uh have a shout at uh having my own little show. You know, everybody in GCW seems to get a crack at it. So I think it's the deathmatch portion's time to uh, get a crack at it. And you know, in a world where deathmatching's very spot showy, I wanna be able to do something that might have a little meaning. So like I'm literally putting the best effort ahead of me to uh make every match count. Mm-hmm. I, I, absolutely and that's that's one of the reasons i mean you're one of my favorites because you actually put rhyme and reason into your matches you're not just taking everything from the back you're not just doing the blow-offs right away i mean you're making the fan you're you're making us fans feel rewarded for watching your matches is really the best way to put it i try i i mean i try uh you know um Deathmatch wrestling is a genre that's really not uh, looked at in a good light, especially when it comes to uh, products on TV or mm-hmm. or even more of a pure wrestling sense when it comes to, like, Ring of Honor, MLW, yeah. places like that. Guys like us are kind of, like, looked at it. Oh, they can't wrestle. They're just – they're using weapons because that's, like, a handicap. It's their crutch. And uh, when I first got into this, it was just my kind of goal and objective to bring more of a wrestling sense into at least my death matches. And I feel like I've done a decent job so far, at least for the most part. I feel like decent's a bit of an understatement. I mean, considering, so I kind of want to give my f- listeners a real perspective of your career in hindsight. Really, I mean, you've gone from, of course, facing some of the best in death match in almost every area you've wrestled. I mean, you're, yeah. you're like a walking time machine of deathmatch wrestling almost. <laughs> I mean, you faced the Danny Havocs. You faced the Matt Tremonts. You faced the June Kasai's. You faced the Masashi Takeda's. And really, I mean, I think my first, so this is kind of a story for my listeners as well as you. Yeah. The very first Alex Cologne match I watched actually was your match with Takeda in Japan. All right. That to me was a pure classic. I was like, this is what hooks, like, hook this in my veins. And I mean, that was a classic, by the way. Just the pure, like, the blood. First, I mean, the blood just added to the fuel, but everything you did was with purpose. It was, it's either you're going 100% or going nothing. And of course, I, yeah, I'm a, I'm a historian, by the way. So going back in time, the NGI three match with the tree branch, which um, funny enough, our former guest wrestling unicorns talked about that tree branch. And they're like, <laughs> the crowd was hijacking you for that damn tree branch. If you liked they it were. or not, I was trying to get rid of it, man. I was like, this is a little, I don't want to like be the asshole who hits a guy with a tree branch out of tree branch out of nowhere. But like the crowd would not let it go. So I when they see something obscure like that, you damn well know they want to see it. And I think the thing that really stood out to me with all of your matches is just like the precision you put into them. You're not just blowing off a weapon and just like, you're making the fans feel again, as I've said before, rewarded for using such a weapon as per se, the tree match or from the Takeda match in Japan, the, um, the cactus. <laughs> yeah. That probably didn't feel good afterwards. I don't know how- <laughs> no i didn't and i did you know me and uh, danny havoc did kind of like this weird cactus in his retirement match oh my and god i was even sketchy yes. about that i was like nah. that match is a work of art in my opinion i mean of course that's the match if many of you are curious about that match there's the vice 
wrestlers doc that spotlighted that match. It was Danny Havoc's retirement. And it was, it was what, CCW's best of the best? Or no, down with the sickness. It was uh, Chris, yeah, Chris Cash Memorial. Okay, so. it was... And, which um, was actually really like timed well because my debut was in like was on the Chris Cash Memorial show, so oh, it was kind okay. of very like it came full circle. Yeah, in that match. I get that. And um, really though, I want to get into something with you. Is like, what was your first experiences doing deathmatch? I think that's something that we don't talk about much with you. I mean, everyone knows who you are. You're like the ambassador. Yes. Yeah. But but let's take a. Uh, trip back in time as the rookie Alex Cologne here, and what was like your first experiences doing the death? My first, I think my first experience had to be uh, I was at an IWA Mid South show, and um, it was I was there traveling with the CCW crew, mm-hmm. and uh, it was one of the King of Deaths, and they had like the weird tag match where it's like a death match guy and a non death match guy, uh-huh. and then I was the non death match guy. DJ Hyde was the death match guy. <laughs> Um, yeah, I tried, I tried, they had two rings. One was like the death match ring. It was real yeah. weird, but, uh, I tried to stay in the regular ring and a uh, bull pain and tank thought that that wasn't going to happen. Mm-hmm. So I ended up in the death match ring. Next thing you know, Nick Gage is beating me with a barbed wire bat. Tank is beating me with, with thumbtack bats. And then, oh uh, bull pain splashing on top of me with a beach ball with thumbtacks on it. Um, very vivid memories. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. I mean, that's a Damn, talk about a real throwback, bull pain, my goodness. And, of course, um, you're also known for your many of um, TODs. And, of course, I, I always think about you and Danny Havoc. The two of you yeah. were really the glue that stuck together. I mean, out of all the people you wrestled, did you ever think in the slightest that Danny Havoc would really be, like, your, like, antithesis, be the guy that you're here and he's there. Like you two were always neck and neck. It felt like at some at some point, even before all the deathmatch stuff, uh, I think so. Um, one of my first singles matches was against him, and uh, at an NBA show where he knocked my tooth clean out. Oh my goodness! <laughs> um, you know, and uh, towards when I started really becoming seasoned in the wrestling aspect. Like we, that was when Four Loco was feuding with Nation of Intoxication uh, and yeah. kind of like became my rival. And then from there on, we always kind of like ended up in the ring with each other at some point. So, um, even going before the deathmatch stuff, I seen it coming. You know. Mm-hmm. Well, that's that's really interesting you say it because I mean, whenever like I look, whenever I tell fans like of matches to watch, I always think of the Danny Havoc retirement match with you. Because that was everything just felt perfect. And um, I know this is, I know this last year for you has been emotional with him passing away. But I want to give a shout to one of your podcasts, No Psychology Needed, when you wrote that letter to him and talked about that match. I'll never, ever forget that moment because you described it. I had just watched the match, mind you, and reading what you had to say. It, it just, it all felt poetic and it, it felt really like a good way to remember him. Just the idea of like, he's, he's finally free. He's finally just, and I, I think, I think that's incredible. One thing about deathmatch, that's why I do this podcast because I want to give deathmatch a positive life. It's not just guys throwing shit. Yeah. It, it's, 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 it's about putting pen to paper, putting story 
And I mean, you're, you're truly, and I say this, I know you're, you hate when I gas you up, but it's a hundred percent the truth. You put poetry in motion with death match. I mean, you know, um, how I explain it. Like uh, Danny was one of the best at being able to articulate the wrestling stuff. And, um, you, and you know, my story's not, you know, it's nothing. No one knows. Like I was mm-hmm. like on the verge of being done, man. I just, you know, and at times I'll still feel that way now because, you know, I still struggle with the politics of wrestling and not understanding why I'm not where I should be or why I'm not being given certain opportunities. And that's not saying I'm not being given opportunities be- because come on, I'm about to have of my course own not. show. Of course I got GCW took me to Japan twice. Um, I got to go to all types of different places uh, in my tenure in wrestling. Um, there's other stuff lined up, unfortunately, thank COVID. But uh, <laughs> like, um, damn, I'm losing myself now. But uh, no, like, talk away, man. Him, he was just like, he was that savior for me, man. Like, I, I was done. It was just like, it was a wrap for me. I was like, all right. Um, you know, and it was around the time where my daughter was being born. Uh, I had a good job at the time. So mm-hmm. I was like, I could just focus on my job. Finally. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll just wrestle some local shots and I'll, I'll stick to whatever needs be. Cause at this point, like, uh, the CCW train had just gone past and people yeah. forgotten about me and I was never good enough to be in the ring, you know, in front of the fans. But, uh, you know, uh, Danny Havoc kind of never gave up on me. He stayed in touch with me, which was, very odd because we weren't super close but like once he started getting hold of me we started really building a friendship and building a bond and talking to each other all the time um he would send me emails because he was like this this dude weird dude who would like to send emails <laughs> and then random text messages at random parts of the day oh wow um but yeah he brought me he brought me back in man and it took a little while for things to get rolling because it it was still one of them situations where it was a political landscape for me for whatever reason Uh i could never get my foot in that ccw door but uh once we had that match he uh he proceeded to help me open those doors in um, places like gcw and even uh h2o helped out a lot too matt tremont um gave me some opportunities when um, people have, had already given up on me and that really helped me out as well. Get my foot into that GCW door to, uh, be a deathmatch household name, I guess. Well, Whatever. yeah. Another household name, Matt Tremont, who is a fantastic man. And I've had Bam Sullivan. He was my very first episode and Nat was like the best to him when a guy, another guy who felt kind of down and out, but someone who encourages others to be the best version. I mean, look at Bam. Danny Havoc, hardcore champion, holding that belt proud against you in the finals. Fantastic match. And um, that's another match. The most recent with you and Matt Tremont in Indianapolis was truly a spectacle. That was like, out of all the matches that collected weekend, that was my most anticipated match. And the two of you did not disappoint in the slightest. I know it was a four-hour show and easily yeah. could <laughs> everyone could have been burnt out. But when you came out with Marcus, which, by the way, um, shout out to Marcus Crane. I know, I don't know if you saw the news. His surgery is yeah. coming up February 22nd now. Mm-hmm. Um, and then hearing Journey, like, I know everyone is like, ah, I don't like Journey, but I'm like, I get chills every single time Separate Ways comes on. And I was like on the edge of my seat that entire match. And I was watching in the comfort of my own home, mind you. And I still, 
Like that's what wrestling is at its purest form is when you, the fan can purely feel a hundred percent invested in a match. And that's what I felt with you too. That dude, that's like, I always try to harp on people. Like, um, it's cool to go out there and, you know, you hear us on a podcast. We talk, we talk, sometimes we talk poorly about, you know, wrestlers or, or promoters or promotions, uh-huh. but that's not because I have hate towards anyone. It's more that like, you know, when I got back into, into the, the, uh, the view of, of the, I guess uh, the smart mark public, so to speak. Yeah. Um, you know, and he, Danny brought me back in, into the world as a deathmatch wrestler. I wanted to do something different. I didn't want to do what everybody was already doing. It was like, uh. it there was an emphasis on on the the wrestling aspect as much as I felt like there should have been. And he was one of the best at doing that. But like, I felt like something was missing. I wanted to find that piece of the puzzle and make people excited. Like, and you would know when. And when I was a fan, it was like there were certain matches or certain death matches, like the minute their music hit, you were just, oh, my God. It was just like you were hyped. You're jumping up and down. You're like, this is the most amazing fucking moment ever. You know, and I've had plenty of those moments Yeah, exactly. uh, in my I, own, yeah. dude, where I'm just in the back and the music's hitting. And I'm like, this is really, this is about to to happen, dude. Like uh, <laughs> Japan with Takeda that oh. we were the main event. My yeah. first show. In Japan, I was the main event. It, it, it didn't matter if it was just Shinkiba. There's still a shit ton of people in there. Exactly. But it was like, dude, my music was hitting. I was getting emotional. I had to slap myself in the face. It's like, <laughs> get geared up. This is not time to get emotional about. Because I never thought, I never once thought I would make it there. Because that was, uh, Japan was my final goal. And it's it's crazy to think I haven't quit yet or anything. But like, Japan <laughs> was the, the final goal I wanted to reach. Mm-hmm. So I, up to that point, I've done everything I wanted to do. And I was like, Japan's the, the, Japan's the last thing. And then I was there, dude. I, I, I made it. Like, Grant, Danny Havoc helped me get there. And, like, that's mm-hmm. the underlining thing about me as a person and whatever, this career thing. It's not about yeah. me. And you hear me going on a rant about people. <laughs> Go ahead. It's not, a, it's, not, it's not about me. It's not. He... I was nobody. He made me who I am. And I can't thank him enough for that. Yeah. I think that's an interesting thing. And I I have harped on this too. Many times to people like, yes, wrestling, like it's one person, but it takes an entire village to cultivate one said person in wrestling, not just the schools, not just your friends or your family. Like there are people like Grant, Danny, who have helped cultivate so many different people throughout his life and i mean danny truly i mean if i had a deathmatch wrestling mount rushmore american wise he and shreema would both be on it i mean i'd probably put you not not just because you're on here but because i, I, I hey that's a I, hard I, one dude like there it's hard but, so many figures so many deathmatch wrestling like, figures so like their um, lasting yeah. images i mean definitely grant and danny and matt i mean you as well but i mean that that last one it, it's tough it's it's but i've always like thought about that in my head i'm a, I, I like to think theoretically but i mean we you can't say enough about certain guys in the industry who want to help because i think everyone yeah. in this generation where everyone's like this 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 it's like it's selfish it is a selfish business it is it is a selfish and sometimes you just got to look behind in the rear view door and be like, well, 
What if someone wants to give you help? What if, what if this criticism that they're giving you that's constructive is actually really about just making you a better person? I think that's something with your podcast as well as I think just in wrestling in general, we see it way too often where people think, oh, they're just critiquing me. They want to cancel me. They want to, it's like, no, no not at all. So some, I mean, something I think I've thought about with you on a lot is you like your inspirations. Like who are the wrestlers that really got you into wrestling? Ooh, that's a good one. <laughs> uh, other than Bret Hart. <laughs> <laughs> Bret Hart was my child. Bret Hart was my childhood hero. Um, and, you know, I have vivid memories of the Bret Hart commercial where the kid's like, Bret! And it's like, oh, my oh, God, yeah. And Bret Turner, oh, my God, dude. I love that commercial. It reminds me a lot of the Mijo Green commercial. <laughs> I love it. But, like, uh, I don't really know if I had inspirations, so to speak. Like, I'm trying to think in my head, like, um, getting into wrestling-wise, like, the – it was like um i just have memories of just my friend who rip passed away um while we were backyard wrestling he ended up passing away but he uh, it was a close friend who got me into backyard wrestling and um he just brought it up to me one day next thing you know i'm backyard wrestling with friends so there was no it was i don't think there was any like certain inspiration it was like once i started doing that i was like all right um, this backyard wrestling thing is fun. I mean, maybe I could do this. Like, how do people do this? And then I found like the indies. That's like the indies really were. I felt like we're starting then, like in the mm-hmm. early two thousands. Oh yeah. Um, and then I started watching like, oh, I was already like hip on CZW because they were on a uh, local TV. Oh in my yeah. Area for for mm-hmm. a tiny bit, but uh, I fell out of that. And then I found them again. I was like, oh shit, the CZW place still exists. Oh, what's this? What's this Mid South? What's this Chikara? Where are all these other? random indies and i just uh found smart mark video and i just started collecting collecting every month just watching just retarded amounts of dvds <laughs> found ring of, i found ring of honor because i remember i would find some stuff on torrent sites and i was like oh i don't know what this is but it's pretty cool it's like a pure wrestling so i fell into that deep dark hole too uh, yeah. um and then eventually at some point um one of my friends had the hookup because he worked with lobo of czw uh, fame. okay and um, he invited him to a backyard show. And it was oh, like shit. me, Joe Gacy, Ophidian, if you remember who Moxus is. Darrell yeah, Pratt, I know Ophidian. Lindsay Dorado. What the hell? Yeah, there's a lot of guys. Uh, George W. Boss. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's a lot. Of, our indie fed had a lot of guys who ended up training and, and getting into wrestling. But uh, he came to the show. And then he told us, hey, the CCW school is getting ready to open back up as its own entity. So then half of us and the, half of the crew ended up going to Chikara to oh, kind of okay. like get ahead of the game. And they yeah. stayed there and the other half waited for CCW to get their own little uh, place to run a school. And then we ended up going there. Um, okay. but also, I trained a little bit before that, but that's for another story. <laughs> um, and then the rest was pretty much uh, history. Yeah, as they say, the rest is history, and um, that's crazy. Joe Gacy, Lindsay, yeah, I mean, shout out to about those guys. They're 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 living the dream now in Florida and just Adam Cole. Thing. Adam hey, Cole. Who would have thought that pretty ass motherfucker would have a job? <laughs> hey, he was giving you a shout out on Twitter. I don't know if, if yeah. everyone saw well, this, but I, I don't know if you know, but I'm pretty decently close with Adam Cole. Are you? Have you talked yeah, to him on kind occasion? Of. 
occasion I talk to him now that he's a big superstar, so he always like big superstar girlfriend, you know. Dude, he'll thing. he'll hit me up. He'll hit me up three weeks later and be like, "Hey, man, um, <laughs> sorry I'm reaching out to you late, but my inbox is full." I'm like, "Hey, <laughs> I don't blame you, dude. You're the one on. You're the one basically on TV now." Yeah, so, exactly. Uh, I'm not getting mad that, at the hey, guy. Getting that like, dough. Going we from- all knew that guy was going to be a star. We all knew it. It's funny. I saw a photo when I was watching like old Adam Cole stuff. I think is was this probably around the time you were in CDW as well when he had Mia Yim as a valet. Yep. And I, I just I belted out laughing like what? And I was like mind blown. I was like this shit's happening. When did this happen? I want to know. Yeah. <laughs> I you gotta, get, you gotta catch up on your history, man. Like I know, right? There's a lot, and it's crazy to think, you know, because. Uh, I've been around a long time, so I don't feel like, you know, I feel like it's always like, all right, we're going through the same wheel, the same wheel. Mm-hmm. But then there's always this whole generation who's like, dude, you've been wrestling for how long? I'm like, yeah, like almost 15 years at this point. And they're like, what? I'm like, yeah, I've been around. Um, <laughs> as, I, as, I said watch wrestling? Like, as I've said before, you're like a freaking deathmatch time machine over here. Well, dude, uh, what got me? What got me is one of my first GCW shows. Uh. Extremo, uh, Miedo Extremo was oh, like, yeah. um, oh, was that at was the like, Howell, New Jersey shows? It was one of those shows. Okay. He was like, um, he might have told me at the Chicago show, as a matter of fact, he was like, that we wrestled each other. He was like, he was like, yeah, man, I knew who you were. I was watching your stuff oh, when I was 16. <laughs> Untouchables, I yeah. think. Yeah, I know exactly what show yeah. you're talking about. He told about. me he was watching my stuff since the age of 16. I was like, oh my God, what the? How old Miedo. am I? <laughs> Holy shit, man. Miedo, yeah, shout out to Miedo and Ciclope and uh, the, the still tag team champions of GCW. I know Miedo, yes. as you told me, is flipping burgers somewhere in Mexico. I don't know what Ciclope. Hey, he's, made, he's making good food, apparently. He's like, yeah, he's apparently. Up, so. Apparently. And I don't know what Ciclope is up to these days, but they're both just waiting to probably salivate at the gland to get back here. Um, And I think so. Let, let's bring it back to the current here. Now these days you're kind of the outspoken. I don't know. I don't know a good way to put it, but like, you're kind of the more Ooh. like outspoken ambassador or the grandpa Simpson wave at the class. As some people would say, I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, burning bridges, burning bridges. It's Alex black it's, I, I told you this title of this episode was going to be right. The it's state of death match according to Alex Cologne. <laughs> But um, no, I mean, Man. you're you're very outspoken. But I mean, to me, I know I don't find much offense. But I know other people and fans or yeah. former fans Oof. have found it per se just like, what the hell is he saying? And all is like, really? It's just a guy, a wrestler's opinion. Yeah, it's it's like it's like your opinion or someone else's opinion. We all have opinions. Um, I don't take too much offense to anyone's opinion. Um, I just form my own, and I've been wrestling for a long ass time. I've been in and out of locker rooms and in the wrestling ring, so I kind of have an understanding yeah. of how uh, things work with the wrestling and the business aspect. Um, so I feel like I can comment on it. Just like if somebody's a pilot and they fly a plane, right? Yeah. So they 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 know how to do their job so they can form an opinion about it. I can't go to that person and be like, hey, this is how you land a plane. Hey, this is how you fly a fucking plane. No, because I don't fly a fucking plane. I am a wrestler. I wrestle. Let me do the wrestling and you fucking do your job. You know what I mean? Like Exactly. Woo. I just got a good kick. Out. That's the best analogy I've heard. 
I'll tell you how to fly the freaking plane. Imagine if we all were just in like our airplanes and we just knock on the cockpit door and be like, I'll tell you how to land this plane. <laughs> it's like, next thing you know, we have another Sully Sullenberger landing in the Hudson River. And it's like, so that's how I land a plane in the water. Yeah. But no, see, um, but I wanted really your wholehearted. I mean, I brought you on for my reasons. Because, <laughs> I mean, because I can trust you as a perfectly 100% honest guy. I mean, like, what do you feel is like right with Deathmatch? But also, what do you feel is wrong with Deathmatches? The, uh, we, we, we're getting, uh, I feel like right now we're getting a bigger, like, eye on us. Like, people are paying more attention to Deathmatch Wrestling. It's, I feel like it's on a lot more shows than it used to be. It's a little bit more prevalent. People are a little bit more accepting of, uh, Deathmatch Wrestling. Which is a good but thing. I, I feel, yeah, I feel like sometimes we still, you know, that everybody, right now, I feel like a lot of wrestling shows are very spot show-esque. There's not too much stories going on, um. And, you know, even in CCW, they, they didn't have the best stories with the deathmatch stuff, but they tried. They at least formed some type of a, a format, and then you knew at Cage of Death you were going to get some type of a, a ending to whatever deathmatch uh-huh. story that was being told. So I can at least give them that credit. Um, I just feel like companies sometimes miss that mark, and they're worried about, oh, the next big spot. Like, this guy's coming off of a roof through a flaming table. But then after that, next month, this guy's got to do something else crazy. Or it just it, it becomes this one one up one up thing one up thing. I don't want my matches to be like that. I don't want anything anything I do to be oh well we got to focus on this one spot unless it's a part of the story I'm trying to tell in the ring. Uh-huh. You know, I just feel like at least the person I am now like I feel like deathmatch wrestling could benefit more from having stories and maybe people who aren't deathmatch wrestling fans will accept it a little bit more as a wrestling art. Uh-huh. If we try to take it a little bit more serious and add a little bit more of a wrestling dynamic and a little bit more of a, a story in the match, even though if, if there's no long term term story, you can tell a story in one match. You literally can. There's, there's ways around it. I agree 100 percent with that. I think that's a thing that has deterred some people from deathmatch because they're like, oh, it's just as you said, beginning. It's just a crotch. It's just they're using the light tubes just to be yeah. flashy and they just want to bleed because they want to bleed. It's like. Like, I've seen Deathmatch for what it's worth. I've been a fan for roughly now four years. And I can tell you, like, I've grown from just the guys like, I want blood to being like, I want substance. I want story. It's not hard. These guys work their ass off. Don't just make them bleed for the sake of freaking entertainment. It's, it's, it's yeah. not a blood rush. Um, it's not a blood I rush. I guess there's people that are really into that, though. There literally are fans who are, are seriously, I don't know. I guess it's like, hey, man, you know, the, there's other things you can watch that aren't wrestling related where you can see fake blood. You don't see people really trying to hurt your scripted TV but... shows, you know, I don't know. But I mean, I think with you, I mean, you're, you're such an insightful source to what is a good one versus what is just an okay one. Because I, I like, yeah. we've all had good. We've all, had, we've all seen good. We've all seen the bad. We've all seen the ugly. And we've seen some ugly shit through the years. I think you could definitely say that. Oh, yeah. 100%. And it's funny. Um, so, I, I mean, I want to know, like, if you – so I want to ask you this question. Yeah. So who's someone who, per se, is retired from the world of deathmatch that you would want to match with? So, like, a Thumbtack Jack or a Sick Nick Mondo. Like, is there someone in the pantheon of deathmatch wrestlers you'd be like, I want a dream match with this guy? 
I don't I don't know if there is, man. Like I think after wrestling Takeda twice and wrestling Kasai, well more than twice, but wrestling Kasai, um I feel like that that is like that's where it could go. If I was a big Onita fan, I feel like that would be the thing, but I was never I FMW didn't get me because of Onita. FMW got me because of Hayabusa. Hayabusa. Like, yeah. Love Hayabusa, man. Dude, love those Tokyo him. Pop, those Tokyo Pop DVDs got me hooked on FMW. Someone but, sent me uh, an FMW DVD and I was watching. And I was like, I had Hiya Boots versus Mike Awesome. And I was like, this is how David versus Goliath should be booked. I don't give a shit where. I don't give a shit how. This is how you do it. You're right. You're fucking right. Man. <laughs> but yeah, Thank I you. don't think there, I honestly don't, I don't think there's anyone that I'd be like, yeah, because I, I just feel like it's, it's already happened. And like uh-huh. a lot of my focus nowadays is just helping the young guys out. It's not even what rematches would, would make me excited. It's more like, all mm-hmm. right, the young guys. I mean, if I could uh-huh. have something, it would probably be a KFC title shot. Maybe in the future at some point. Maybe in the future. Freedoms. If, if you're if you somehow listen to this, Toru, Sakuda, whoever. Yeah, whoever at that point. Alex wants in. Um, Dude, so that, how many times do you how many foreigners do you get to see wrestle for a Japanese title? Like it's very far and few in between. It's not counting all Japan because they had a big guy gym boost. Yeah. But like oh my god. And speaking of Noah, considering what happened with Noah, I mean you don't see any gaijin and noah these days um Rare. so it's funny that you say about focusing on the youth who are some guys that okay like maybe that we've slightly heard of or people that we're starting to hear of like young guys you want to see do well in deathmatch wrestling or just wrestling in general i, I want to see a ton of people do well um i I talk to Akira on a regular basis. I'm always doing my best to give him my opinion on anything he has. So that's someone I want to see do well. Um, I wrestled a kid at uh, Sean Henderson's weekend off. Um, Mathers, Marcus Mathers. Oh, I watched that match. Marcus Mathers. He is young as shit and very (laughs) good for as young as he is. So, like, if he stays on pace, he'll actually make something of of himself in the future. So, you know, that's one. There, I was watching dude, that show. Yeah, good Atticus Coger's another one, another guy that at first I didn't get it, and then we got in the ring, and I and I had the chance to slow down some of his movements and compact some of the movements that he was doing uh-huh. in the ring to make it make more sense for a deathmatch aspect. And I feel like, all right, like this kid's ready to do something. So Atticus ton, is great, man. I, yeah. I, I, I at first I was I was kind of the same way when I really got to know the four four zero guys. And I was like, okay, I get there. They're the indie faction. They're going to make that dough. They're, all, they're out and about. But I always saw something in Atticus. And I was like, I don't know what. But then, of course, watching him grow literally before our very eyes into this prolific deathmatch wrestler who's getting booked everywhere, mind you. And then, of, I mean, you're, you're watching him and you're like, okay, I get this kid. He's got something. He's got something, yeah. That's a big that's a big thing a lot of people always skip past is like that X factor. And that's a problem I had for a very long time when I was uh just doing just straight wrestling um mm-hmm. coming up. And you know, I would get opportunities to wrestle for for like Gabe Sapolsky's and Danny Daniels. Yeah. And um 
and they would always say, hey, you're young. I, I know you can wrestle. We obviously clearly can see you can wrestle, but like you need to find whatever it is that you're missing because there's some there's something that you're missing, an X factor that's just not clicking, you know, and I guess it took me this long to figure out that Deathmatch became that, that little X factor that was uh-huh. missing from who I uh, am trying to uh, convey in the ring. So, you know, people take to me more now than they did in the past because maybe uh-huh. I just didn't have a full understanding of who I was. I, uh, I feel like Atticus has that, man. He has that. He already has that, and he hasn't been wrestling that long, and he has that X factor. He's kind of figured himself out, so it's just a matter of putting his tools together and sharpening them and making yeah. everything crisp and clean, so so you know what I mean? Like, his whole, like, embodiment of work just gets encompassed. Well, I mean, that's really, I think, a fantastic thing about him. I, I had heard from the New Year's Day show from a third party that literally there was like a two-minute standing ovation for him after the match. And he lost, mind you. Like, after you walked to the back, yeah. he got a two-minute standing ovation. I didn't even know that. You're telling yeah. me that's a first. And I went to that, the back. I didn't notice any of that. Yeah. Like, someone was <laughs> like, he got a two-minute standing ovation. And I was like, this is when you know people are fully invested in you. No matter if you win, no matter if you lose, you're putting in the work and showing. Here's the scary part. His brother as well could be good. Otis, you know yeah, his brother Otis? His brother wrestles too, huh? Yeah, his brother Otis. I've seen him at the No Peace Underground shows. He was wrestling at the same show as Atticus against Beastly, who it was. And like, I think he's starting to kind of figure out who he is as well. He's not the same level as Atticus because, I mean, yeah. the 4 for O rub and all that. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I see something in Otis as well. And it's crazy. I mean, I, I didn't even realize they were near my neck of the woods in Indiana, Indiana with the Bizarro Lucha shows and all. That's where I really heard of them. And I kind of went back into the vault and found the Shotzi Blackheart versus Atticus match. It wasn't mm. a death match. But it was just a pure Lucha Libre, pure good wrestling clinic. And I was like, looking back at that versus now, like the, the growth is immense. And I think Otis is going to find that as well, hopefully soon. I mean, I, I love to see Otis Kogar or Kogur, I should say, gets more work. Everyone, I hear people say, is, is it Kogur or Kogar? Because everyone's like mixing it up all the time. They are Kogar then. <laughs> is it Kogar? I don't know. Because I hear Pretty Kogar, sure. I mean... Kogar, and I'm like, I don't know. But that's, that's another story for another day. <laughs> <laughs> But um, spelling with Lauren and Alex. <laughs> yeah, right. We can do a whole thing. Um, but seriously, um, like you and, and to go to your podcast with Steven, um, you guys love your Japanese deathmatch guys. Like, I, I think I've learned more through Japanese deathmatch through YouTube than through yeah. my own searching of myself. And Dude, I um, love it. I yeah. love it. And what like fascinated you about the Japanese deathmatch? Like what what fascinated Just there they it was a wrestling it was a wrestling match foremost. Like I think that's what fascinated me because when I started wrestling, uh coming into training, I wanted to be a hardcore ultra violent guy. Uh-huh. Um that's what I did in the backyard. Uh we would hit each other with a bunch of shit. I would always have the matches with the tons with tons of weapons. 
in the backyard. So I wanted to come into CZW and be an ultraviolet guy. But at some point during training, I just changed my mind. I was like, I need to learn how to wrestle. I think that's where my focus needs to be instead of destroying my body because it was just you you had a shorter timeline and people didn't take death matching seriously. A lot of wrestlers and even still to this day think we're just, you know, we're very low level, uh, low end of the wrestling spectrum. I don't think that's true. I think there's a lot of death match guys, especially after um, the Na- the Nattown dragons made the hybrid, like yeah. the hybrid title really popular because they were pretty good wrestlers and they were also damn good at death match wrestling. So yeah. Um, yeah, I don't, you know, it it's just like i don't know man i'm losing myself here right now <laughs> hey it's okay i'm i'm happy to always listen it's almost like doing a deathmatch lecture 101 with Alex cologne here ladies and gentlemen but um and i mean in all honesty like you really have formed yourself as like this ambassador of ways as you've told me with concentrating on the youth of wrestling um what what do you see yourself doing in the next five years or so um probably not wrestling in the next five years um i'm think i'm giving myself about four and i six now i don't want to be the guy wrestling past 40 and doing death matches you have a very limited time frame mm-hmm. um so i'm really trying to pack in as much stuff as possible i mean never say never i'm sure there's always people because you know danny havoc was in the same boat at one point he was yeah. done and then gcw was like hey we want you to come to japan and then all of a sudden he's like, Hey, I think I'm going to Japan. And then he got, when we got back to the country, not a lot of people know, like he was actually thinking about coming back again. He was like, Oh, my back feels better. Maybe I could get some work done on it. Maybe, you know, maybe I could come back for a couple more runs. And then he had the match for Schlack. And then he had the match yes. for Schlack, which is that yeah. match. It's, it's weird going back to that match because I watched Ron Ricky run. It was, oof, I'm trying to think of the timeline. COVID really messes up your timelines here, you know? I was watching that match. and I, It's weird going back, thinking that that's the last match we have in the Danny Havoc Pantheon. Mm-hmm. And the way he was looking, I was like, this is young Danny Havoc we're looking at here. I didn't think Schlack would bring this out. Because I know Schlack was supposed to face Takeda, but of course, mm-hmm. due to injury. And I'm sitting there watching this, and I was like, Danny's putting on a fucking work of art. Like, are we really going to see him back? It was just, it's incredible watching. I mean, he was doing freaking flips out there. And I'm like, how old is this man? How many years has he been doing that match? I I got a kick out of that match. I'm going to be 100% honest. Because I I mean, it's like not saying Schlack doesn't give you good matches. But just with all, out of all the people in the world of Deathmatch, he gets one with Danny freaking Havoc. Son of a bitch, man. I know. I was like, you asshole. <laughs> I'm supposed to be his last match. This is bullshit. <laughs> Dude, got a kick out of it. Yeah, I know. Alex Cologne versus Danny Havoc, too. Come on. Dude, I'm so, you know, I'm so grateful I, I got to uh, tag with Danny Havoc in Japan. Like, I oh, felt like we had yeah. our tag match against uh, Sakuda and Kadaka. Shit. If you yeah. I don't know if you've seen it, but there's I people have. who I think probably skipped over it because you tend to skip over the multi-man matches. But, like, for a tag match, Jesus Christ, we kind of went in. <laughs> yeah, was that the, that was a GCW. That was the first night in Japan, right? That was the second night. Second night? night? Yeah, I, yeah. I remember there was the, 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 the six-man tag with you Danny Fremont. That's the one you're yeah, talking about. That was the third and night. I, yeah. I, I got I got chills. I was like, 
we're really getting this tag match with the three of you. And I, I could tell when watching, I was like, you were amped the frick up to have that match. It was fun. It, it's like, you know, because those guys were from uh, even more so uh, Danny was from like the generation before mine. And then me and Matt were pretty much in the same generation. Yeah. So it was like guys from my era, you know, compared to a lot of the, the other guys on tour who were kind of like the guys after us. Uh-huh. So it was like it was like being able to tag with uh, my compadres and my brothers in arms. It was great, amazing. And um, it was funny since um, on IWTV they put up the Freedom shows from when you guys were there, and it was that it was like that elimination tag. <sighs> it, that was so bizarre, and they had that like, like doll. You didn't like that? I, I got no. a kick out of it. I mean, it's kind of funny watching that because um, a girl, a woman on that show, Rena Yamashita, of course, St- Steven's crush. She, yeah, Steven's girl. <laughs> <laughs> um, she was tagging with, was it Fujita in that match? Uh, um, I think it was. I think. I think it was with Fujita. Maybe. I'm trying to remember. But it was the two of them were tagging. I think it was you and someone else. I think Schlatt, I think Jimmy Lloyd was in that match, maybe. Yeah, it was a lot of us. It was like four, yeah, four on four. It was basically all the GCW guys in that match. Yeah. And then I, I did not like, like that match. <laughs> <laughs> See, not a rematch. I, Perfect. <laughs> dude, I remember Kadaka coming to the back because I was just so frustrated with it for whatever reason. Yeah. Um, I just immediately after I got eliminated, I was like, I'm going to the back. I'm pissed. And then Kadaka <laughs> came came uh, after me and he was like, he was like, are you okay? He was like, uh, maybe next time we'll do something else. I was like, yeah, maybe next time we'll do something else because this just did not feel right at all well, for me. It, well, I mean, the way, and I think this is something that we'll talk about here is the way those shows are structured. It's, it's, it's like a Japanese GCW, basically. You get your variety, you get your strong style, you get your lucha, but then you get like your gimmicks, hardcore slash death match, but then you yep. get your death match. And I think, yeah. To me, and me and you have had this conversation off camera and on camera where really variety is the best way to go. It's not it just is. death, death, death. It's not like where someone can work literally till they're only freaking 25. Um, it's it's about making sure you reward the fans for coming to shows or watching the shows. And I think Freedoms has really, as you and Steve have talked about numerously, you they've hit the formula on the dot as it seems like and i think going back to those matches in 20 when you guys were there it was like yeah you had your gimmicky death match and all that but then of course that main event with toro sugiyara miyamoto was the best match of 2020 now i know why you guys were saying that was the best match yeah dude so awesome so awesome it was a great match it might have been one of the best one of the best at least top three death matches of last year yeah I, I would agree with that statement because i i was like oh like whenever you i was listening to the potty you guys were like hyping it up and i'm like i wish i could watch this god damn it freedoms get your show we literally see. walked in into the crowd it was like me danny havoc i think schlack or invite was next to me and we yeah. were all kind of like on the side just watching it live literally feet from the ring it was just like oh my god like I was getting angry because I'm like, how dare they have an amazing match and I'm not in it. <laughs> oh, um, that's a guy who, from what I've seen in her, Toru, who is absolutely killing it next level right now. And at an age where really he, like most guys his age would still be kind of trying to find that next gear. Yeah. He's found the next gear already. 
Yeah, and it, that's a testament to the company putting their stock in a young guy because in Japan, and you would probably know from watching Japanese wrestling, like it takes years and years and years for the young guy to actually finally get a break. Like, look how long it took for uh, New Japan to give Kota Ibushi any type of steam after picking him up from DDT. Oh my um, look at BJW. Ishikawa's got years before they actually give him a good little run. Yeah. It's just the way the Japanese wrestling format is. Is you it, They want to see that loyalty. They want to see that progression. So it's years and years and years. And, you know, it brings me back to the conversation I had with Steve on our podcast about Sakuda leaving BJW. Yeah. He just felt like he was ready to go to the next level. But BJW said, nah, you have you have more years ahead of you before we give you another opportunity. And and look, he's in Freedoms. And Freedom seems to be the more progressive promotion deathmatch-wise in Japan. They're just giving the ball to people. And let's go run with it. Let's see what happens. Let's see what happens. Well, it's I think they, for them. They, they understand the deathmatch psychology. Well, I mean, and, and the fact is, it, it, that's a testament to the guys who are running it, like um, Sasaki, who understand deathmatch psychology. Another guy you've had a match with, amazing. <laughs> um, where it's like, yeah, it's like, we'll gladly take Sakuda off of you. I mean, the guy, yeah. that's a guy who you've harped on this. Steve's harped on this. I will harp on this. That if he got his ass to America, he would be over in a goddamn heartbeat. Over as shit. If it was, <laughs> I think if it wasn't for COVID, he would have already been over here. I think as soon as, as soon as he got out of that contract, he would have been on a flight over here to do an excursion. But like oh with COVID my. and everything, it kind of like halted. Like he, he, like to put it in perspective for a lot of my listeners who aren't as familiar with Sakuda, it's he literally is an American deathmatch wrestler trapped in a Japanese man's body. He is. He is 100%. literally the epitome of like everything American Deathmatch should be. But he's just in Japan. He's just like, how the hell do I get over here? And um the one match of, one of his one of his obsessions. Okay. Oh, I don't mean to cut you off. One of his obsessions is American Deathmatch wrestling. Like he loves that's watching cr- it. That's freaking crazy. Um no, I was gonna say the match that was really underrated was Slime Season when he came over to Cali. With was I think it was with Oren, from what I remember. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was like, these are two guys who I both absolutely love the shit out of doing the death, doing it well in front of an audience that probably is like, they've never seen this in their goddamn lives. Yeah. That, well, that we did, we did that one show in LA where it was well, a few yeah. death matches, but, but like, this but I felt like, like this crowd was different. Yeah. That Ukrainian more center, wrestling man. crowd. That yeah. Ukrainian wrestling center, they got they got a freaking five star car there. From what I remember, they had Blake Christian versus Alex Zane. They had Sakuda Oren. They had a couple others that I just remember were absolute bangers on that show. And I'm like, God damn it! I wish I lived in California. <laughs> but I know I'm good. We're good where we're at. Like I feel like wrestling. Damn wrestling at least going more towards the east coast is where you're gonna be you're gonna have the luxury of watching so much different shit um i feel like in the west coast it's kind of like touch and go touching well go. now it's been touch and go yeah now especially yeah i know agua is trying to come back and do a show i believe in march or april um but of course they're deathmatch champions in freaking australia right now just living the dream Shout out Guido, wherever he may be. Yeah, shout out Guido. <laughs> Joel. Guido. Um, Joel. Oh, Joel is a sweetheart. Shout out to Joel. He was, uh, if you if, if you read my writing, he was my very first article 
had a whole conversation, which we could not put on the airwaves <laughs> for several reasons. But um, no, Joel's great. Shout out to Deathmatch owner. I know they're going through some tough times, of course, with border closures now. They have the. Yep. Um, but yeah, I mean, how do you feel about like certain untapped markets and Deathmatch, like per se, the Australia's? Per se, I the feel Europe. like it's it's perfect. It's a perfect opportunity for them to shine a better light from the get-go and not have a bad stigma attached to them. Like they could actually have fans that have some sort of of a respect for the genre and not more of a, a disdained look about it. Like, Oh, eh, they're okay, but they're just deathmatch guys. So in their eyes, they're, Oh, they're just wrestlers at first. It's just, they're just wrestlers instead of, oh, they're just deathmatch guys. So they have the opportunity to really build on something, especially in a market that really doesn't, because in America, there's so many deathmatches happening all the time. Like in Australia, there really isn't that much. So they haven't seen everything. They haven't been, uh, they haven't, you know, they haven't been conditioned. They haven't been conditioned to be like, ah, oh, we've already seen that. Or, ah, oh, yeah. that's not a big deal. So to them, everything's a big fucking deal. So it just, yeah. it makes bigger stars out of their guys and, and a bigger platform for their promotion. Yeah, I think that's the thing I really got from talking with Joel. And I, I talk to Joel almost daily. I mean, he's an absolute gem of a human being. If you don't know who Joel Bateman is, get on that bandwagon now. Um, He had a pretty he, good match with Guido. Oh, that was so good. And I sh- th- that gif of him sliding down the cut cam. Oh board, yes! Oh my god! I show I show people that, and they're like, "What?" I'm like, How "Gross!" They, they are, <laughs> I'm like, "Them Aussies are just built different." And I'm so bummed that we like. I mean, it's gonna happen eventually, but the match with Charlie Evans was gonna be a banger. Yeah. Charlie, I, I don't know if you've seen Charlie Evans do death matches before. No, she did them for TNT in Europe. She was in okay. the same tournament as Clint Margera, Big F and Joe, RSP when okay. he was over there. She was taking fucking skewers. She is a baller. I was like, Charlie. I was scream- I was hollering at Charlie. I'm like, do not do this. She's awesome, <laughs> by the way. Shout out to Charlie Evans. Um, but yeah, I, I'm I'm glad you said something about those untapped markets in Europe. Because you're apparently, I know Steven touched up on this in the World of Deathmatch that the, the TNT had to cancel one of their deathmatch tournaments in February because things are just not good there. But it's true. The reputations in those parts of the world where deathmatch is kind of touch and go, they're getting a, a, a reset button mm-hmm. to be able to be like, this is what we provide. This is how we're going to do it. We're going to do it. We're going to do it right, which um, DMDU has basically hit it right on the spot on how to do it right. You know what I mean? But no, I, I think just want to wrap this up though. Again, I mean, you really are like a living, breathing encyclopedia of deathmatch. And I think for one, I mean, not just you doing up as a one, one podcaster to another, but just the things you've done for American deathmatch and deathmatch in general. I mean, you're one of the few people that really wants to put a good light on it because you worked for this. And I think that's something that I think, I, I mean, I appreciate, I don't know if many people will appreciate it because you have your people who are on the spectrum. Yeah. But in all honesty, it's really just about making sure that you're doing it right. Because I think people want to try and do deathmatch. And I've, I've seen this happen on Twitter way too many times yeah. where someone's like, how do you feel if I do a deathmatch? How do you feel if I do a deathmatch? And I'm just like, either you do it or you don't, but you got to have the right 
mindset to do it as you well. have to have the right motives and you know we see that sometimes a lot of non-deathmatch guys want to hop in there because they see the i don't want to say the glitz and the glamour about it but they oh my god this is going to help me get so many places the cloud. this is going to do so much for me what it's going to do is you're going to be fighting from underneath for the rest of your wrestling career. People are going to think you're a deathmatch guy and you're going to have to constantly fight, scratch and claw to prove that you can actually wrestle. And that's going to be the the underlining story of that situation. And guys don't see that. They just see, they see the, the shine we're getting from fans or the shine we're getting from these bookings. And it's like, no, you're destroying your body. You're, you're shortening your life. And um, you're you're giving yourself some bad stigma, and it and look, it is what it is. Like I consider myself a deathmatch wrestler, but at the end of the day, anybody who's in this game understands the stigma that they're going to get from it, and understands the repercussions and and what you're going to deal with while doing it. And a lot of us accept it, and we understand that that's just the way it's going to be, and we just keep it rolling and try to do our best to revert people's thinking from this guy's just a dude who can't wrestle who just hits people with shit to, Oh, this motherfucker can wrestle too. That's crazy. Well, I'm glad you said, cause I mean, I think me and you have both seen this and we talk about this. It's like some guys are not getting their worth doing this. And I think as you made a really great point on one of the podcasts was workers getting worked, workers yeah. getting worked. It's like, if you're going to do death match, you got to show one that you're worth it but two don't just do it for pennies don't do it for pennies. yeah no not at all yeah like i always say you have to it's sad to say you have to pay to play but like there becomes a point in life where like all right something's gotta i have to be making money or i have there has to be some type of underlining opportunity that's literally in the wings waiting for me that if i do this this is gonna happen and this is gonna be bigger for me but like immediately, like if you're if you're trying to do something that you're going to be sitting on and obviously with travel restrictions, yeah. a lot of opportunities outside of the country doesn't really exist right now. So people's mindset should be I need to get my worth. And to me, it's like if you can't pay me properly to do my job, I mean, what does that say about you at the end of the day? You're you're trying to cut corners. And when I always say when you you try to cut corners on uh on pay you end up cutting corners on talent so you get what you pay for essentially Mm -hmm. yeah um, so i think kind of something to wrap up here is um just any advice you have for younger wrestlers slash deathmatch wrestlers really just spill the knowledge my friend yeah uh take the time to learn learn the craft of wrestling as well as if you do death matches the craft of death match because there's a craft of both genres and they are both of the same and of separate genres as well um and also uh, a lot of young guys nowadays don't they don't pay attention to the product they're at they just kind of pay attention to what they're doing or they're not they're i don't want to say unwilling to take advice from someone who's been around for a while but they're unwilling Uh to ask for advice they'll just kind of let it slide and worry about what like oh i got this handled or or the whatever someone watching it saying is is the proper thought process so i'm good no it's it's always best to have somebody to be able to give you some type of feedback as well as you watch it yourself and give yourself feedback so you can become a better wrestler because unlike me where i'm on the tail end of things there's a lot of dudes who are just coming in or a lot of guys who are just reaching their stride but they're trying to find that like you and me discussed they're trying to find that x factor that thing and the only way you're going to be able to do that is to do the proper research on yourself and the the products you're aiming for plain and simple 
I, I love it because I think I had this conversation with Bam Sullivan when he was on the hair and I was like, you're never going to stop learning. You are always a student of the game. Even if you're at the tail end, even if you're, you always have to learn because you want to grow. Like this is, if, if you're really a hundred percent into this, you want to learn, you want to grow. And it's, it's not hard. Just let out a helping hand. And I think sometimes people kind of lose sight of that because it's like me, 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 instead of everyone. You want everyone to do well. And I think you're one of those guys that really harps on that for all the right reasons. So um, I think that really just about does it, Alex. Again, I want to thank you for coming on here. And I want to thank everyone for really tuning in. This was a fantastic episode of Your Dose of Death. So Lauren signing out. Alex, anything you have, um, any social as you want to promote or anything like that no. anything to promote? uh everybody uh obviously pay attention to uh my twitter alex clone 0139 for information on planet death as well as the gcw twitter page facebook page whatever instagram they're running um we're going to release as much information as fast as we can when we can uh i'm going to obviously have some big announcements coming up about my show asap and as i say you know there's a, always going to be a rhyme and a reason for what I do. And that's going to show on this card. So, uh, you know, uh, strap in and buckle up. It's going to be a wild (laughs) ride. Well, that's a great way to end Alex. Thank you again for this. And to everyone who listened, have a good rest of your day. And thank you again for listening to your dose of death. This has been a Countout Podcast.